One, two, one, two. Yeah. Special dedication to my brothers and sisters on the great continent of Africa. The saints in Malawi, Ghana, Nigeria, Kenya, Zimbabwe. Don't be deceived by what America's sending y'all, yeah. man. Let me begin. While there's still ink left in my pen, I'm set to contend. For truth, you can bet will offend. Deception within. The church, man, who's letting them in? We talked about this years ago. Let's address it again. Yeah. And I ain't really trying to start beef. But some who claim to be part of the sheep got some sharp teeth. And cats get mean when you criticize them. But Jesus told us Matthew 7, 16, we can recognize them. And God forbid that for the love of some fans, I keep quiet and watch them die with their blood on my hands. So there's nothing left for me to do except to speak to you in the spirit of Jude 3 and 2 Peter 2. And I know that some will label me a Pharisee because today the only heresy is saying that this heresy. I'll dare to be specific and drop some clarity on the popularity of the gospel of prosperity. Turn off TBN, that channel is overrated The pastors speak bogus statements, financially motivated It's kinda like a pyramid scheme Visualize heretics Christianizing the American dream It's foul and deceitful, they're lying to people Teaching that camel squeeze through the eye of a needle Ungodly and wicked, ask yourself how can they not be convicted Treating Jesus like a lottery ticket And you're thinking they're not the dangerous type Cause some of the statements are right That only proves that Satan comes as an angel of light This teaching can't be believed without a cause the liars, you can achieve a crown without a cross And I hear it all the time when they speak on the block Even unbelievers are shocked how they're feasting the flock It should be obvious then, yeah I'll explain why it's sin Peep the Bible, it's in 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10 It talks about how the desire for riches Has left many souls on fire in stitches, mired in ditches Tell me who would teach you to pursue as a goal The very thing that the Bible says will ruin your soul, huh? Yet they're encouraging the love of money To make it worse, they've exported this garbage into others other countries. My heart breaks even now as I'm rhyming. You want to know what all false teachers have in common? What? It's called selfism, the fastest growing religion. They just dress it up and call it Christian. Don't be deceived by this funny biz. If you come to Jesus for money, then he's not your God. Money, money is. Jesus is not a means to an end. No. The gospel is he came to redeem us from sin. And that is the message forever I'll yell. Down. If you're living your best life now, you're headed for hell. Talk to him. Joel Osteen. Let him know. Crackle Dollar is a false teacher. Well, Benny Hinn is a false teacher. I know they're popular, but don't let them deceive ya. Talk to T.D. Jakes is a false teacher. Tell the truth. Joyce Meyer is a false teacher. Let him know. Paula White is a false teacher. Use your discernment, let the Bible lead ya. Keep going. Fred Price is a false teacher. Tell the truth. Kenneth Copeland is a false teacher. Well, well. Robert Hilton is a false teacher. I know they're popular, but don't let them deceive ya. Prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3.
It's been a while, everyone, since my last post, but I am back in full effect. I want to thank you for checking in with me and taking the time to hear what I have to say. I do apologize for the delay in getting back on here and, and getting another video going and another uh, podcast. I have been uh, very, very busy, very busy with a lot of outside things going on and this is something that I do part-time I'd love it if this was my full-time job uh, but it is not so I get to it when I can and so uh, the summer season is upon us and that brings its own set of uh, things to occupy your time so I haven't forgotten about the podcast it's just been a long while um, uh, in between episodes so we're back and there have um, I'm sure for all of us those listening those watching there's always demands on our time and that's probably you know something that we all have in common it seems like there's not enough hours in the day to get everything done but here we are at this point we are at the halfway point through the, our study in Jude through the book of Jude and really, this is the center point, if you remember. Uh, we are following sort of an inversion pattern through the book of Jude. And we have now reached verse 11, which is the center point, like I said, of this inversion pattern. And in the next episode, which will follow this episode, we're going to be working on our pattern in reverse order. So now we're coming out of it, if you remember everything we did coming in. Now we're going to be working in a reverse order as we work from this point to the end of this short book. Here in verse 11, we find what has been called the trio of apostasy, the trio of apostasy. So with all that uh, introduction said, let us consider the words of God, Jude 11. Woe to them! For they have gone in the way of Cain, and have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. In this single verse, we're going to be making references to three other places in the Bible. We're going to look at Genesis 4, 8, Numbers 22, and Numbers 16, verses 31 through 32. But before we get there, let's look at these first three words here in verse 11. It says, woe to them. And there's an exclamation point there. Woe to them. What does this mean? And who are the them being referred to in this verse? Well, I'm so glad you asked. I'm so glad you came back to James Reed's Forge to get an answer to questions like that. We've already looked at Jude 4, but I want to bring your attention back to that verse for just a moment. Verse 4 describes certain men who have crept into the Lord's church. And I encourage you to go back and listen to the study we did when we covered this verse. I'm not going to rehash it all here. But I do want us to remember a few things. I've called these men creepy men because the word tells us here 
that they have crept in. You may remember they have crept in unnoticed and they bring a dangerous doctrine with them. They are stealthy, you might say. What they propose to do is so evil that their actions and their judgment was predicted a long time ago. They are bringing in what's known as antinomianism, an antinomian doctrine. And that's just a fancy word. And, and what it means is that there's a total misuse and a total misrepresentation of what God's glorious grace really is. It means that there's a belief out there. And, and unfortunately, this belief is held by some uh, that would even call themselves Christians uh, in our day and age. And it's a belief that since salvation is a work of God's divine grace and it is not of works, then Christians aren't bound to do anything of any good work. They're not bound to follow any kind of morality that's given in God's law. In other words, you can be saved and live any way you want to live. And there's a lot more to it than that, but that's just a summary of it. And what it really comes down to, friends, is people want to live the way they want to live. They want to have enough Jesus to say that they are Christians, but they still don't want to give up the desires of the flesh. And friends, if that is what you believe, and I'm going to say this as gently as possible, if that is what you believe, it's heresy. Because you were not saved, and the Bible actually tells us that we are saved unto good works. So don't get this flipped. I'm not saying that good works save you. I would agree with the first part of this that um, salvation is a work of God's divine grace. Absolutely. I can do nothing to earn it. My works will not save me. However, if you have been truly, and I've said this before, this is not new if you've been listening to my podcast. This is nothing new here. When the Holy Spirit comes in and regenerates, when he gives you a new mind, when he gives you uh, a rebirth, that rebirth that we Christians always talk about, the thing is, is you don't want to do bad works anymore. You don't want to do the wrong thing. And what's beautiful about it is, for the first time, you're motivated for the right reason. You're motivated to do good things because of the one who saved you. And you love him. And for the first time in your life, you love the good. You love the good things, and you do so out of a heart that wants to please God. You're not selfishly motivated. And it gets deep. But friends, if you think that you can come to Christ, say a few magic words, get, quote unquote, get saved, and then go out and do your own thing, you've missed the entire point. We have to repent and believe the gospel, friends. So when we look at these first few words of Jude 11, I want you to remember who Jude is talking about. So we're in verse 11, but it really is... In, um, you have to take everything, the first 10 verses, and specifically I'd say go back to Jude 4 and look at it, see who he's talking about. And he uses the word woe, or that's what we say in English. 
In Greek, it's O-I, O-I. So, woe and O-I, it sounds a little bit um, like it could be a similar type of word. And it's found in the Gospels, and it's also found in the book of Revelation, but it's only used in the epistles twice. It's used here in Jude, and it's used in 1 Corinthians 9.16. And there in 1 Corinthians 9.16, it says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel and what what is the impact of this one word or this phrase woe to me or woe to them what does it mean well there's an implication here and it's the the fate of an everlasting doom woe to you you're in danger of an everlasting doom and Paul is expressing that his compulsion to preach the gospel is so powerful that he must preach the gospel or woe to him. Uh, there's a, a doom that awaits him if he doesn't preach. He must preach. And this woe is a way of saying extreme caution and warning to you if you don't do this certain thing. Or if you are engaged in something you should not be doing, woe to you. And so Jude uses this word here in Jude 11. And it's clear that anyone who uh, follows in the steps of Cain and Balaam and Korah, who he mentions here in verse 11, they are facing the same kind of a fate, the same kind of a doom. So let's examine the first example that Jude gives us. Jude references the way of Cain. He says the way of Cain. Friends, the way of Cain is the way of hate. We read of Cain uh, when uh, we read in the book of Genesis and in our study, we did the entire book of Genesis. If you go back to Genesis chapter 4, you're going to read about Cain. And again, I would point you back to our study through Genesis, and I am not going to go through the whole thing here, uh, but I just encourage you to go back, listen to that on your own time, study it out, puzzle it out, uh, see if those things are reasonable to you. And don't take my word for it. I've said this many times. So do your own study. I don't know everything there is to know. I don't pretend to know everything there is to know. And the challenge is for you, friends, to be a good Berean, as it tells us in the book of Acts, and be like the Bereans and go study these things out for yourself. See if what I'm saying aligns with Scripture in context. I will stress that uh, context and consistency. Those are the keys, if you will. So when we read about Cain... Um, we find that Cain killed his brother Abel. We see that Abel offered a sacrifice to God and God was pleased with it. Cain offers a sacrifice to the Lord, but it did not please the Lord. And I've heard and read others who point out that Cain's sacrifice was one of the fruit of the ground and that's the reason that it was rejected. 
And if you remember from our study in Genesis, I point out that there is more than one kind of sacrifice to bring to the Lord. Uh, even in the Old Covenant, there were drink offerings, there were wave offerings of the, the wheat of the field. All of these were accepted by God. So it's not just only that there were meat or, or burnt sacrifice offerings uh, that required the spilling of blood and the sacrifice of animals. God accepted other sacrifices also. And there, of course, there were rules for all of that. There were ways that it, it was done. I simply want to point out that some people have pointed out, they, they've tried to make a claim that uh, Cain started the first so-called false religion because he didn't sacrifice a blood offering. And friends, I think we get a clue. And of course, when we were in Genesis, you heard me go into this in a lot more detail but I believe that based upon the context that we find in Genesis 4, that Cain's offering was not acceptable to the Lord because of Cain's heart. I do not believe that he started a false religion. And the reason I believe what I believe about this is if you read Genesis 4 verse 7, you find God is actually encouraging Cain to do well and not to sin. God preached to Cain and Cain's anger was a condition of his heart and remember Jesus told us in Matthew 5 verses 21 through 22 and again this gets into context and consistency Jesus said you have heard it heard that it was said of those of old you shall not murder and whoever murder murders will be in danger of the judgment but I say to you, and we need to get this. Jesus said, I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. And 1 John 3 verses 14 through 15 we read we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren he who does not love his brother abides in death whoever hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him and leviticus 19 Verses 17 through 18, the Bible says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So, friends, you can see that our God was very consistent on this point. You are to love your neighbor. You are not to hate. And the way of Cain is the way of hate. And murder, according to what God has spoken and even what Jesus says, is the way of hate is the way of murder. And Jude asserts here that these creepy men with their false teachings have gone in the way of Cain. The way of hate is murder. Cain 
had a complete absence of both faith in God and love for brother. So next, let's take a look at the next person that Jude brings into the discussion. This man's name was Balaam. Balaam is mentioned here in Jude 11, and he's part of this so-called trio of apostasy. So who is this character? Well, we find him in Numbers 22. Now, we have not yet done a study on Numbers. We will get to it. If it takes me the rest of my life, my goal is to do this podcast, um, these videos, as long as we still have freedom on YouTube and on the Internet to proclaim the gospel. My goal is to get through the entire Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. So getting back to Numbers 22, we find that the nation of Israel is coming into the promised land and Balaam is some kind of a false prophet. He's a soothsayer. Maybe he's a wizard kind of a character. He is a evil prophet, an evil false prophet. But God is about to use Balaam here for God's own purpose. Balak was a chieftain or a king, as it were, in the land of Moab. <clears throat> and he wanted Balaam to place a curse on Israel. And the Bible tells us that Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. God had kept his promise to Israel and the pagans of that region were extremely scared of Israel because God was cleaning the land and he was using his chosen people to get it done. And there's a whole uh, other discussion here on how they defiled the land and God was causing the evil, wicked people to be cast out of the land and he was using the nation of Israel to purify the area he was going to give this land to the nation of Israel. So if you have never read it, now would be a great time for you to go back, read the book of Numbers, and here we're focusing on Numbers chapter 22, and this will give you the context and you'll understand the point that Jude is making here. It's a long story, but uh, Jesus makes an appearance in the story of Balaam. So we have the eternal son of God in human form appearing uh, before Balaam. Remember, we call this a theophany. And in the uh, summary of the story is simply this. Balaam is not permitted to curse Israel. So Balak the king offers to pay money. He says, listen, Balaam, I need you to curse Israel. And the only thing that God, <laughs> and I laugh because our God is a good God. He's a powerful God and he controls the mouths of men. And if you know anything about this story, there's even a talking donkey in this story. And it's one of those things that atheists and skeptics, they love to point to it and they go, you actually believe in talking animals. Yes, I believe in talking animals. God can do anything. He can speak through a donkey if you won't listen. Uh, he can do anything he wants. Listen, if, if God is the creator of all things, then he can make a donkey talk. He can make a snake talk or a serpent talk. It's not uh, a big deal 
to the God of the entire universe, the creator of all things. And I don't want to chase this too far, but the point is simply this. The fact that something is miraculous, the reason that it's miraculous, let me put it that way, the reason that something is miraculous is because it doesn't happen all the time. If we had talking animals all the time, there'd be no big deal about it, right? Because that's what animals do. But this is one of those cases where God does something extraordinary. And he does this as a sign. He does this as a, as a sign to say, I am the Lord God. I can do anything. There is nothing beyond me. I'm the one who controls all of this. And so, as I said, it's a long story, but the summary is simply this. Balaam uh, begins to prophesy um, over Israel, and there's seven, seven different things that he prophesies. I'm going to mention them here. We're going to just mention them quickly, and then we're going to move on. In Numbers chapter 23, verses 7 through 10, uh, he prophesies that there would be a kingdom of Israel, and it would have countless people in it. In Numbers 23, and these are all, these two, first two are in Numbers 23. If you read 18 through 24, he prophesies that Israel is going to have many military conquests. They're going to be known for their moral virtue, and they're going to have a great monarchy. I would submit for your consideration that King Jesus is that one who is reigning even now. Uh, numbers 24 is where all the rest come from. So those first two, you can find them in Numbers 23. Numbers 24, um, beginning in verse 3, there's a celebration of the conquest and the monarchy that was just mentioned in the previous prophecy. Um, and verses 14 through 19, uh, there will be a coming king who will conquer Edom and Moab again. I would submit for your consideration that this is already accomplished, that Jesus is the ultimate king of Israel. In Numbers 24:20, Amalek is destroyed. So these are prophecies where uh, Balaam is predicting the future. Um, we get to the sixth prophecy, Numbers 24, verses 21 through 22. The Kenites are destroyed by Assyria. Uh, that is historically accurate. And then um, the last one, the seventh prophecy, is found in Numbers 24, verses 23 through 24. And it tells of the ships of Kittim coming from the west to attack Assyria and Eber. So it gets to the point that King Balak eventually says, What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, and look, you have blessed them bountifully. So the king cannot understand why this prophet that he's paying money to won't put a curse on Israel and just continues to bless them. And you can read all about it. Balaam tells the king, I, I, can't, I can't do anything else. This is what... God has put in my mouth, and it's what I must say, and I can't undo what God has done. So you may ask if this evil prophet Balaam prophesied all these great things concerning Israel, then why does Jude mention Balaam in such a negative way? 
Well, as usual with things in the Bible, there's a lot more to this story than, than you get when you do your first read-through. If you go on to read in Numbers 25, you're going to find that Israel begins to eat food which has been sacrificed to idols. And the men of Israel are seduced by pagan women and they begin to engage in sexual immorality with the women of the area. And as I mentioned before, when you begin to look at pagan rituals, uh, the worship of false gods, you will almost always find some kind of a fertility ritual and sexual perversion. In fact, I would suggest to you that the pornography industry, which the West just seems intent on selling to the rest of the world, it is a modernized version of this form of pagan worship. The book of Revelation tells us in chapter 2, verse 14, that it was Balaam who taught Balak, so that's the king, to put a stumbling block before Israel so that they would do these exact things. So on the one hand, while Balaam was predicting good things for Israel, he apparently suggested to the king, Balak, to seduce the men of Israel with women, uh, food, and idol worship. And it's really funny how things are really no different today uh, when we are so modern. We're no different. The basic drives and basic rebellion against our Creator God. It's the same thing. Uh, we want a full belly. We want to chase after our idols today and they may not take the form of stone or wood, although in some cultures they certainly still have idol worship to this day. In the West though we we might have different idols. Our heart I would submit for your consideration, our heart is an idol factory, generating idols, things for us to go worship. And of course, as I, as I have already mentioned, our culture is literally obsessed with sexual immorality. And it seems that Balaam here would do anything for money back in Numbers. So the third person to be mentioned here in Jude is Korah. Korah, or more exactly the rebellion of Korah, as Jude points to. What was Jude getting at, we might ask. So glad you asked. When he talks about Korah, again, we go back to the Old Testament. We read from the same book, Numbers, but this time we're in chapter 16. And Korah brought a complaint against the chosen leader of Israel at that time, who was Moses. And they also came against Aaron. Uh, I encourage you to go read the details for yourself. Again, we're not going to get into it here, but the short story is simply this. God caused the ground to open up and swallow Korah and the entire household. And the Bible states that fire came out from the Lord and consumed 250 men who stood with Korah in their rebellion against Moses and Aaron. And I want to stress to you that when someone comes against the chosen of God, God takes it very personally. That is the one that God has chosen for that particular mission, to bring a message, to be a leader of his people. Do not mess with God's chosen people. Those who 
would come against the righteous are actually coming. Uh, they are attempting to take on the one true and living God. And their end is always, always the righteous wrath of a righteous God. So Jude takes it for granted that his audience would know this background. What exactly is Jude telling us here? So I've given the background to an audience that may not be familiar with these texts as the Jewish people would be. So what's his point? What's he telling us? Well, he's pointing out that these creepy men who have come into the fellowship teaching these false doctrine, doctrines are not in good company. So what exactly is the way of Cain, as Jude calls it? I would suggest that it's pure evil. There's a Jewish tradition uh, which says that uh, um, Cain taught others to sin, that he is like, you know, from Cain, all these kinds of sin come from Cain. And some have suggested that Jude is actually referring to this tradition. I would just add some caution here. Uh, tradition, though it may be Jewish, it is not the word of God. It is a tradition. Uh, more concrete for the believer is John chapter 3, verse 12, which is the word of God, not tradition. And it tells us that Cain was of the wicked one and a murderer. It goes on to say that Cain's works were evil. And earlier I mentioned that Jesus expanded the definition of murder. And he taught us that if we hate someone, we have committed murder in our hearts. And I believe the way of Cain is the way of hate, as I have already stated. Second Peter also makes a reference to Balaam, which is interestingly very similar to what Jude does here. Second Peter 2.15 states of false teachers that they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Friends, it becomes clear when you look at all the scripture about Balaam together, you put it all together, that he allowed greed into his heart and he introduced idols into Israel. From the time of Balaam until the Babylonian captivity, the actually the end of the Babylonian captivity, the children of Israel went after false gods and all the perversions which come with idol worship. And then this third one, Korah. Korah's next. Korah was jealous of Aaron's priestly duties as well as Moses' position in Israel. Korah, along with Dathan and Abiram, I always get that name. I always want to say Abraham, but it's Abiram. They led 250 men in rebellion against Moses, God's chosen leader at that time. False teachers are not simply those who preach and teach things contrary to God's word, as if that weren't enough. That is a serious sin in and of itself. But they act in defiance against the authority which God has put in place. That's what's important about this. In the Old Testament, as I've already pointed out, God chose Moses. And today, God has placed elders uh, we might call them teaching elders, pastors, uh, but elder and pastor in the New Testament, it's the same office. He's placed these under shepherds in his church. 
and false teachers have an ability to lead people astray and God will someday deal with them just as he opened up the earth to swallow up Korah and send fire to burn up the 250 who followed Korah. So the same God who created everything, who can make animals talk, can certainly cause an earthquake and open the earth and swallow up a rebellious sinner and send fire from heaven and consume those who would follow in that rebellion. So I would say that Korah, the way of Korah, is the way of rebellion. The way of Balaam is the way of greed. The way of Cain is the way of hate. And it would seem that Jude has categorized these false teachers and he places them in the company of Cain, Balaam, and Korah. They are motivated by murderous hate, insatiable greed, and a defiant rebellion. And I would suggest for further consideration that Cain was faithless and he simply did not believe God's word. Balaam was a self-indulgent person and he did not care about anything but the big payout. And Korah was rebellious and serves as an example for those who would come against God's divine order of things. So much I could say about God's divine order and how so many in what would call themselves the church today, they've got this messed up. And that's a sermon for another day. But I want you to meditate on this. Rebellion against God's divine order. So what does all this mean for us? What's the point? What's the bottom line? You've got these three characters of apostasy, what does it mean for us? Well, I would call your attention to one last word here in Jude 11, and that word is the word perished. It is in the aorist tense in Greek. There's an implication here from the aorist tense that Jude, or it's coming from Jude rather, that God's judgment is not something that will fall in a future yet to be seen. What Jude is saying is that these false teachers who have perverted the gospel, rejected God's word, they chase the almighty dollar, they let you think that you can have sensuality and Jesus living in the same house, and those who would cast off any kind of ecclesial authority or church authority, they have already had their judgment and perished a long time ago. It's over. These false teachers, not only of Jude's day, but of our day, are those men of old who did the same thing. Not only did it happen in the Old Testament, not only was it happening in Jude's time and in Peter's time, but it's happening in our time as well. And their ways will lead their followers to righteous judgment of God and death. So I'm coming to you today with a very strong message. Hear me. It comes from a heart of love, hopefully with grace, hopefully with mercy in my heart. Do not follow a false teacher. Do not give them your money. Do not listen to their lies. Do not buy their books. 
follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Read his book. Get yourself into a church where the uncompromised gospel is taught and preached, where the word of God is covered, where these subjects are taken on and kept in context, the context that is written so clearly in scripture that find yourself preferably in a reformed church. That is the um, tradition that I am speaking to you from, the reformed tradition. Follow the word of God and get yourself into a Bible-believing church. One way that you will know that you're in a Bible-believing church is your flesh will resist the truth. Even as a Christian, there are things that are taught and preached in a Bible-believing church with God-fearing people who have been born again. Even in a church like that, you have to uh, sometimes hear the Word of God and it will cut you. The Bible says the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword and it will pierce you. And that's one way, it's not the only way, but it's one way that you can evaluate if I'm in a church <laughs> that is teaching and preaching the truth. If you're in a church that makes you feel good because you like the music or you like the message that's being taught because it affirms what you have already come to, this conclusion of things that you already believe, I would check that, friends. Check that. Are they telling you you can have your best life now? Are they telling you that uh, God's best for you is in this material world? Why would a preacher or a teacher tell you to pursue the very thing that God says will destroy your soul? Just something to think about, friends. Evaluate what you're being told by the word of the living God. So with that, friends... Uh, this podcast is sent out with a lot of love, grace, and we desire to simply equip and encourage uh, the body of Christ. And we also desire to preach the gospel to those who uh, maybe have not ever heard the gospel. Maybe they've heard it, but this is the time where the, the Lord might use something that comes out of one of these podcasts and it finally penetrates the hard heart. It finally uh, causes the blind eyes to come open and they see. Finally, the deaf are able to hear. And this might be the day of salvation for someone listening to this. With that, friends, God bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you, and give you peace. God bless. Amen. One, two, one, two. Yeah. Special dedication to my brothers and sisters on the great continent of Africa. The saints in Malawi, Ghana, Nigeria, Kenya, Zimbabwe. Don't be deceived by what America's sending y'all, yeah. man. Let me begin. While there's still ink left in my pen, I'm set to contend. For truth, you can bet will offend. Deception within. The church, man, who's letting them in? We talked about this years ago. Let's address it again. Yeah. And I ain't really trying to start beef. 
But some who claim to be part of the sheep got some sharp teeth. It catches me when you criticize them. But Jesus told us Matthew 7, 16, we can recognize them. And God forbid that for the love of some fans, I keep quiet and watch them die with their blood on my hands. So there's nothing left for me to do except to speak to you in the spirit of Jude 3 and 2 Peter 2. And I know that some will label me a Pharisee because today the only heresy is saying that this heresy. I'll dare to be specific and drop some clarity on the popularity of the gospel of prosperity. Turn off TBN. That channel is overrated. The pastors speak bogus statements financially motivated. It's kind of like a pyramid scheme. Visualize heretics Christianizing the American dream. It's foul and deceitful. They're lying to people. Teaching that camel squeeze through the eye of a needle. Ungodly and wicked. Ask yourself, how can they not be convicted? Treating Jesus like a lottery ticket. And you're thinking they're not the dangerous type. Cause some of the statements are right. That only proves that Satan comes as an angel of light. This teaching can't be believed without a cause. The lie is you can achieve a crown without a cross. And I hear it all the time when they speak on the block. Even unbelievers are shot. How the feast in the flock. It should be obvious then. Yeah, I'll explain why it's sin. Peep the Bible is in. First Timothy 6, 9 and 10. It talks about how the desire for riches has left many souls on fire and stitches, mired in ditches. Tell me who would teach you to pursue as a goal? The very thing that the Bible says will ruin your soul, huh? Yet they're encouraging the love of money to make it worse. They've exported this garbage into other countries. My heart breaks even now as I'm rhyming. You want to know what all false teachers have in common? What? It's called selfism, the fastest growing religion. They just dress it up and call it Christian. Don't be deceived by this funny biz. If you come to Jesus for money, then he's not your God. Money, money is. Jesus is not a means to an end. No. The gospel is he came to redeem us from sin. And that is the message forever I'll yell. Down. If you're living your best life now, you're headed for hell. Talk to him. Joel Osteen. Osteen Let him know. Crepo Dollar is a false teacher. Well, Benny Hinn is a false teacher. I know they're popular, but don't let them deceive ya. Talk to him. T.D. Jakes is a false teacher. Tell the truth. Joyce Meyer is a false teacher. Let him know. Paula White is a false teacher. Use your discernment, let the Bible lead ya. Keep going. Fred Price is a false teacher. Tell the truth. Kenneth Copeland is a false teacher. Who else? Who else? Robert Tilton is a false teacher. I know they're popular, but don't let them deceive ya. Talk to him. Eddie Long is a false teacher. Let him know. Anita Bynum is a false teacher. Who else? Who else? Paul Crouch is a false teacher. Use your discernment, let the Bible lead ya. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. 2 Peter 2, 1-3